0: Thank you so much, Sorcy and Isaiah. Well, church, are we ready to dive into God's word. All right. Well, put your seatbelts on. And uh, honestly, just reading the word of God does good to our hearts and our souls. Amen. Just seeing those words and, and thinking about the anxieties we all face and have. And um, and so we're in this uh, sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount. It is found in Matthew. Uh, chapter 5 through 7. We've been navigating it now for several weeks, and uh, man, it's uh, a beautiful thing. As, as really, it's it's the call of the kingdom. It's, it's how do Christians act, live, behave, think? What is that like? Because we hear a lot of things. A lot of people have an idea about what a Christian might do or should do, but these are really the marching orders of, of what the kingdom of heaven... In fact, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, it's all about the kingdom of God coming down to the earth. The Bible tells us that the earth has been destroyed by sin since Adam and Eve, and it's infected every part of our lives, of our culture, our health, and yet God is in the process of restoring those things and bringing the kingdom to earth, getting rid of darkness and evil and bringing goodness and truth and life. Amen? And it's such an incredible thing. And so we've been saying over these past several weeks right, that, that Jesus didn't come to turn the world upside down. The world was turned upside down by sin. Jesus came to turn it right side up again. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so the title of today's message is, Don't Worry. Y'all are ready to finish it the other way, right? Okay. But we're going to call this, Don't Worry, Be Calm. And um, and so reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them, Don't Worry, Be Calm. Don't worry, be calm. And uh. It's great to uh to have uh some special guests here, my roommate from college, Shane Cones and his wife is right here, give a little wave there so people can see where you are at. And uh so grateful to have these folks. And um and uh so yeah, you want to hear some college day stories? Just feel free to talk to them. And um uh my mom is here if you want earlier stories as well. And uh so um if you just need any dirt, any blackmail, and just want to just hang out after the service and uh so, but no, um, I, I recognize uh, that because, uh, you know, we talk about discipleship and our core mission here is making disciples. And, uh, and, and really, this is a brother who has discipled me as I was new to the faith and had the opportunity to, uh, you know, be roommates in college. And, and he didn't probably even realize or think he did a whole lot. But just seeing a mature Christian was a great thing for me as I was new to the faith to see, man, how does a Christian live? What does is, what is the kingdom of God look like? And, uh, and so he taught me many things and I'm so grateful. And even, as he so graciously reminded me last night, he was like, you know, it was like 20 years ago. I was like, that was not 20 years ago. And he was like, let's do some count. And I was like, be quiet. Let's just eat dinner. And, um, and so anyhow, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into the word here. If you'll join me, father, thank you that we can come to you. And Lord, as we think about our anxiety, our fears, God, thank you that because you live, because as we prayed earlier before the service, Because the truth of the resurrection is real. Because you do that, we can face tomorrow. Our days may be uncertain. We may not know what the future holds. But God, we are so grateful. We know you who holds our future. So God, we worship you today. and, And I just, we continue to worship you with our minds, Lord, with our attention right now. And so I just want to encourage all of us, as you're there in your seat, maybe you'd have a little conversation with God right there in the quietness of your heart. And just say, Something like this to the Lord. Say, Lord, speak to me. just right there in your seat. Say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. And let's say this to him. For, Lord, I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So don't worry. Be calm. As we talk about anxiety, as we look at Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6, I want to give an asterisk, a little preface, if you will, before the message, because I know there are people who are clinically depressed. I know there are people struggling under the weight of of great anxiety and and facing panic attacks. And here's what I don't want you to hear this morning. I don't want you to hear. You struggle with depression, anxiety. You you struggle with anxiety and panic attacks. You're a bad Christian. You, You lack faith. How dare you do not receive that Instead, receive the words of your creator, receive the words of your perfect heavenly father who who may challenge you, but ultimately is calling you to him in love. Right. Is is calling you to him. And in fact, take these words and 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 when the dragon right, the multiple headed dragon of anxiety and fear and worry starts to rear its head in your life. Because. Take these as as swords. Right. And put them in your bag. These are the words of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, the words of your creator and my creator. And he knows your situation better than you know it yourself. And take these out of swords. So when that dragon comes, you got weapons to fight with. Don't don't allow the enemy to twist the challenges of today and and make you feel like you're less than, but receive from your father encouragement and the gospel of, I can't do it, God, but I know you can. And I'm going to cling to you. Amen. Because here's the reality, right? Man all of us struggle with this. I struggle with worry. You might say, pastor, you're so energetic. You're so positive. You're, you're a pastor. How could you struggle with worry? I have the same material in my brain and in my body that you have. And it's and it's plagued by this disease called sin. And, and I have the same enemy that you have. His name is Satan or the devil. And he loves to throw thoughts and worries in my mind. That's so why I worry about things. I worry about my health and my future. I worry about my wife and, and, and her health. And her. I worry about my kids. I worry about uh, the state of our nation. Uh, I worry about my kids and and their futures. And man, I, I worry about this church. And it's crazy, even I, how I'm, I'm preparing this week, right, for worry and anxiety, man. And I probably woke up like five times last night, right? And everything, I, I had like nightmares. You know, this is how Satan works in your mind. Right? Like, the lights wouldn't work at church. So something happened. Like, all of a sudden, uh, it wasn't Sorcy and Isaiah reading the scripture. It was somebody else. And they couldn't see. Like, they just went blind. Like, the, you know, baptism. Like, all these fears that Satan just throws into your mind. I'm not the only one, am I? They come into your minds. They come into all of our minds. And so how are we going to take these weapons out that God has given us to slay this dragon, this monster that that just steals the life from us? Amen. The Bible says in, in John 10, 10, it won't be on the screen, but Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life. That's what the kingdom is. I have come so that you may have life. And then he says it like this. And, and that life abundantly or abundant life, the, the, the true human flourishing, the true good life that the world often tries to sell to us. But then he says this, the second part of that verse, John 10:10. 10, 10, he says this, the enemy or the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Satan is trying to destroy human flourishing and human relationships and the beauty that we were made for, made in the image of God. And he does that through worry, through fear, through anxiety, through many other sins. And so Jesus comes to say, no, this is the kingdom work. And so let's dive into the text here. And, um, and I want us to, uh, in fact, I want to share with you just maybe a definition uh, that I read actually this week from a book. I actually recommended another book last week from Max Lucado. Ironically, a second book this week that was actually given to me by some of our members, Dan and uh, Linda Gregory. And, and you may know that Dan has got a, a terminal lung disease and um, and man is just continuing to trust the Lord. And is a man strong in faith and his wife uh, is a great, great prayer warrior. They, they've been a blessing in our lives. But they gave us this book about a year ago called uh, Anxious for Nothing. Uh, it's a great book. I commend it to you if you want to write that down. Um, and, and wow, two times a year that I recommended uh, that um, just back to back. But this is what he says. He says, anxiety is like a low grade fever. It's an edginess. It's a dread. It's a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm as it is the certainty that a storm is eventually coming. Always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax. You can't let your guard down. All the peace in your life is is temporary, it's short term. And it's not the sight of a grizzly bear. But it's the suspicion of one that gets you, or two, or ten, behind every tree, beyond every turn, inevitable. It's just a matter of time until the grizzly leaps out of the shadows, bears its fangs, and gobbles you up, along with your family, along with your friends, along with your bank account, your pets, your country. There's trouble out there, so you don't sleep well. You can't laugh often. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle as you walk. And when others do, you give them that look. You know that, are you naive look? You may even give them a word. Haven't you read the news? Haven't you heard the reports? Seen the studies? Airplanes fall out of the sky. Bull markets go bare. Terrorists terrorize. Good people turn bad. The other shoe will drop. The fine print will be found. Misfortune is lurking out there for you, and it's just a matter of time. He says anxiety is like a meteor shower of what ifs. What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? What if they don't change? What if I don't get healed? What if I stay single for the rest of my life? What if I never remarry? What if I don't have a child? What if we don't get back together? What if we don't close the sale? What if I don't get the bonus? What if I can't afford braces? What if my kids flunk school, don't go to college and become homeless, all because I couldn't afford Braces. That's the way it goes, right? Fear sees a threat and is different than anxiety. Anxiety doesn't see a threat, anxiety imagines one. We know the toll that anxiety and worry take on our mental status. The National Institute of Mental Health says anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year, over 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, of phobias, of anxiety-related disorders. Our chests will tighten, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded, we'll fear crowds and avoid people. And they are, in the U.S., the number one mental health problem among women, and second, only to alcohol abuse among men. And it could very much be argued that men's attempt to deal with our anxiety is found in our substance abuse. Did you realize that? Number one. The U.S. now is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations. The land of stars and stripes has become the land of stress and strife. And this is a costly achievement we have. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion per year in medical bills and lost productivity. While our use of medication and sedative drugs to deal with our anxiety continues to skyrocket, between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled our spending On anti anxiety medications from 900 million to over 2.1 billion. The Journal of American Medical Associates cited a study that indicates an exponential increase in depression. Imagine this now. People of each successive generation of the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than those of the preceding generation. Isn't that ironic? We continue to gain affluence and wealth and comfort and technology, and yet it has not helped our anxiety and our worries and our fears. Our grandparents and great-grandparents who had far less than us seem to have had a whole lot less anxiety than us. Interesting correlation. How can this be? Our cars are safer than ever. We regulate food, we regulate water, electricity. Most Americans do not live under the danger of imminent attack. Yet, if worry were an Olympic sport, we'd win. A gold medal. Then he goes on to say this, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety, stay with me now, as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. The average child today exhibits the same level of his anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Man, this is the God of our age and one of the main strategies Satan is using To distract us from what God has called us to do. Distract us from the mission to which he's called us. Because if we're afraid and anxious of everything, we can't do what God has called us to do. We can't live those full, abundant lives. And so what is going on here? So let's look at the text. I'll give you some causes of worry. The message will be broken down to causes of worry, the cost of worry, and the cure for those of you. And uh, so that's some good old-fashioned Baptist alliteration for you. And um, the causes of worry. Jesus gives us uh, a, a few of these right here. First is food, right? If only, if only, that was our greatest worry. Look at verses 25 and 26 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, uh, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, right? Nor about your body. What you'll find is life not more than food, the body more than clothing. In verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father what feeds them? Are, are you not of more value than they are? Man. So we worry about food. Next thing we worry about is we're about fashion. We're about some fashion. I love again same same couple of verses there. Right where Jesus says again in verse 25. Therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or you will drink. More about your body, what you will put on it. Is life not more than food in the body, more than clothing? Can I get an amen from every parent that's ever had to deal with the wardrobe issue? Thanks. This is written over 2,000 years ago, folks. We hadn't changed a whole lot. I love it. I love Jesus's. These words are eternal. They're not old. They're eternal, which means they're timeless. And so we worry about food. We worry about fashion. We worry about fitness. Notice the third thing. We worry about fitness. How about that? Verse 27, Jesus goes on to say, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? Worry can't lengthen your life, but especially in our day, we're worried about, uh, uh, you know, GMO and or organics and non-organics and all this sort of stuff, and, and we're worried about how can we improve our health and and everything, you know, from from the ground to the air to the TVs to the cell phones will give you cancer, and um, and so it's like we're just bombarded by it everywhere, and we're trying to figure out how do we figure out our fitness. And by the way, uh, notice here, this is not a prohibition against planning or being wise. Jesus isn't saying don't take care of your body. The Bible says your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should take care of your body. But but anxiety and doing something are two totally different things. And trusting in in something earthly versus trusting that God has a plan is also two different things. If we think about food for a second, right? The Bible says in this verse and the verses preceding that Jesus feeds the birds of the air, right? And so it's not a prohibition against working or eating healthy or those sorts of things. How does God feed the birds of the air? As, as one preacher said, He doesn't just throw them in the nest, right? Well, the birds gotta do. Birds gotta go out and get it, right? And so they gotta go dive down and get that worm. Early bird gets the worm. They gotta swoop in and uh and fight the squirrels out of the bird feeder uh to get some seeds, right? And so and so Jesus is not saying for us just to sit around and do nothing in regards to these issues. But he's also saying, don't trust in in human efforts for these things. So we worry about food, fashion, fitness. Worry can't lengthen our life here, as as he says, right? You, You can't lengthen your life by worrying, right? It hasn't happened. You can't add a single hour to your span of life. And then lastly, worry about our future, don't we? See, some of us, we have food, we have clothes, we have our health. We're just afraid right now that I won't have it next month or next year or tomorrow. We're worried about our future. Look what verse 34 says. Verse 34, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about what? Tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is a trouble in its own. And so we're worried about these things. How do you like, man, did Jesus hit the target here? Right? Food, fashion, fitness, our future. We are worried about these things. I would dare to say, man, as we navigate our worries, they are included in these areas, so that's the cause of worry let's let's talk about some of the cost of, of worry here. Number one, worry is unreasonable now now you've you've got some swords or you've got some bullets to put in your gun when when you start to deal with these anxieties as I start to deal with these anxieties. worry is unreasonable. look at back at verse twenty five right it's illogical he says it says therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. About your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the logic here. He's saying life is more important than just these things. How many of us had conversations regarding these things and acknowledging that life is more important that there are great there are eternal things at work for us to be worried and consumed with anxiety about these things? So he says it's illogical. And you know what worry does? Worry honestly exaggerates our problems, doesn't it? It makes a mountain out of a molehill. Let me just ask you this. You're worried about something? Does your problem shrink when you're sitting there worried about it? Right? It doesn't shrink. It doesn't get smaller. It grows. You know what my mind does? I start start playing out a story, right? Somebody talks bad about you at work and you start worrying about it. It doesn't make the problem smaller. It grows, right? Well, I know why they didn't talk about me because I know them from second grade. And I aced the spelling test, and they got a 98. They are holding that grudge. And then you start to play these games, and you go through the years of this, and then probably that time there, and, I, and they, are, they are holding a grudge against so And you just navigate. You're just playing the story out. So, so far off base, right? It exaggerates. It makes things greater. It makes things worse. It makes them seem bigger and bigger. And so it's, it's man, it's illogical. It's, it's, it's unreasonable. And, you know, what else is uh, we, we tend to worry about, most worries are about something in the past, right? And how many of us can change the past? You can't change the past. Also, we worry about things in the future, and we can't change the future. We worry about things that we cannot change. And listen, if there's something you can change, worrying about it doesn't help, right? What should you do? Get up and change it. Get up and do something about it, right? It's crazy that we do this. And so worry is unreasonable. Secondly, worry is unnatural. It's unnatural. You weren't created. You weren't designed to worry. Jesus is pointing us in verse 26. as He talks about worry being unnatural. In verse 26, he says this. He says, look, look, that's, that's a command, right? Look. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, look at the birds. Just give that advice to your coworker or or your sister or your your, your in laws, you know, when, when they start worrying about something, just say, hey, hey, look, just look at the birds. And they'll be like, What are you smoking? Right? Just look at the birds. Jesus says, Look at the birds. What do they do? They do birdie things. They tweet, I guess, right? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We're the only thing in all of creation that I'm aware of that worries. I don't know that dogs worry. I don't think they do. Some of you might argue, like, no, they worry. Like, are they coming home? Are they coming home? Because You know, if you saw The Secret Life of Pets, right? You know, those dogs are worried that, that, the, that the owners wouldn't come back. Cats, as far as I know, don't worry. Cats will cause some worries, right? They will cause some worries, but birds don't worry. Worrying is a choice. We weren't designed and created by God. Little babies don't come into the world worrying. They have to learn that. And and in fact, uh, uh, the scientists that have studied the human brain says your brain's kind of like a uh, uh, a jungle, if it will, you know, just full. And and when we have thoughts and we connect neurons, and, and um, man, it creates a, a neurological pathway. And so if we start to worry, what will happen is our our brain cells and those thoughts they'll take the path of least resistance, if you know what I mean. And so it's like when you've worried about something and you've you've carved out a path in your mental jungle, you know, with the machete, and and you've carved a little pathway. They're like, oh, man, this happened, and I just I start to worry about it. Well, the next time something happens, that thought goes, I need a path to get around. It says, oh, there's a path there, and, and worry continues to compound itself, but it's unnatural. You have to practice to get good at it. But here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen, right? That if worry is learned, you know what that means? It can be unlearned. Some of us have bought the lie from Satan. I'm just a worrier. My mom was a worrier. My aunt was a worrier. My grandmother was a worry. It's just who we are as a family. Do not believe that because what you're saying is God can't change you. He absolutely can. It was something you learned. You can unlearn it. And then notice again the verse there. He says, right, your heavenly father feeds them. He's saying, man, look at the birds. The birds are not even the children of God. They're the creation of God. And he says, your heavenly father feeds them. You're a child of God. You know what children get? They get special privileges. My mom's here today, man. When I was in college and I come back from college and even when I was a grown adult, I could go to mom's house and, and raid the pantry, right? And still do. We go down to North Carolina. We know we all, and my kids know where that pantry is. My mom will buy all the goodies that I won't buy. And, and she, as far as I can tell, there's no grudge holding her. I don't believe she buys all this stuff. I believe she knows we're coming. She buys this stuff for us because she says, you're my child. Enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it. How much more does our Heavenly Father say? In fact, the Bible says, I've given you the kingdom. You've got special. Come and raid. You have all my resources at your supply. So it's unnatural. And because it's unnatural, you know what it is? It means it's unhealthy, right? And I hope you know how much worry gives you ulcers, affects your blood pressure, affects all the different stress level, headaches, backaches, insomnia. Our bodies weren't made to carry this load. I don't know if you've noticed, but trucks, you ever seen big tractor trailers or even your, your, you got a pickup truck, it's got a maximum load on it because you're putting weight on it, right? And if you're familiar with that, it says, you know, a uh, one-ton truck or two-ton truck or 10-ton truck, right? It's got, it's got a load capacity when you put this weight on it. God has said, I made humans with a load capacity. And when you start to worry, you're taking more on. Than you were designed to carry. You're exceeding your low capacity. No wonder your joints and your psyche and everything else is is breaking under the pressure. And God would say, release that. In fact, the old English word for worry simply means to strangle or to choke. That's what worry does, right? It strangles the life out of us. It's, It's unnatural and it's unhealthy. People say, I'm worried sick. You can say, yep, you are. You're doing more damage to yourself Then the MRI, then everything else that you're worried about happening is release the worry. And so it's unnatural. And thirdly, worry is unhelpful. It's unhelpful. It doesn't actually work, right? It's unhelpful. Look at verse 27. What does Jesus say? I love this phrase, right? It's, It's so simple. It's so simple. And we know this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? It won't work. You can't shorten. You you, you can't lengthen your life. If, if worry could take inches off our waist, right, some of us would be skinny as can be. Worrying about our weight doesn't fix it. It can't lengthen your life. You know what worry can do, though? It can't shorten your life because it's unhealthy. And you can't change your past. You can't control your future. All it does is steal joy from today. It robs and ruins today the mercies that God gave you for today. So it's unhelpful. Someone said worry is kind of like a rocking chair, right? You rock back and forth. You exert a lot of energy, and you don't go anywhere. Another person said worry kind of like sitting in the parking lot revving your engine up, right? Vroom, vroom, vroom. You're expending gas and energy and, and wear and tear on your engine. And you haven't driven anywhere. That's what worry does. Creates a lot of smoke and noise, but you don't accomplish anything. Worry's never solved anyone's problems. I love what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said, I've got a lot of worries in my life, most of which have never actually happened. Then one lady said, you can't tell me, pastor, that worry doesn't work, is not helpful. All the things I've worried about have never happened. Yeah. You missed the point, right? (laughs) It wasn't your worrying. It's never solved the problem. We cannot control the future. You can't control your past. All it does is make us miserable today, and so it's unhelpful. And then, fourthly, it's, it's unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. Why is it unnecessary? Because you have a heavenly Father who has promised to meet every need you have. And so, therefore, to worry is unnecessary. It's not needed. Look at verse 28, 28 through 32. It's unnecessary. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, notice the that's a command there. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed. they are talking about uh, the, the great King Solomon, the richest and wisest man that, that ever lived, was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh you, of little faith? What is he saying? He's saying you've got a heavenly father who has who promised to take care of you. And, and this is similar to the bird analogy, right? Look at the birds that they're taking care of your heavenly father will take care of you because you're more valuable than birds. This is is similar, but the analogy changes because he says you last longer than the flowers and the grass, right? I could, um, part of my kid's job is to cut grass and you know how grass leaves the extra grass there. So it was dried up. So we had a little, uh, what you call it? Fire thing and, uh, fire pit. Thank you. Yep. Brain's still coming. And, uh, and, uh, and so I got Liam, and he got the old leftover grass, right? And this is what the verse is talking about here, is, is that they would take the old leftover stubble, and they would use that in their ovens to start the fire. So that's what we do. And he's saying, think about how grass just has such a short lifespan. Think about how the flowers have such a short lifespan. You, as a human being, have an eternal lifespan. You will spend eternity somewhere, in heaven or in hell. And so you are valuable to God. So valuable, he sent his son down the cross to keep you and me out of hell. And he's saying, if he did that, how much more will he provide for your needs? He cares for the flowers. He cares for the birds. He cares way more for you. So it's unnecessary. Where he is unnecessary, it's not needed. Don't you think I'm going to be able to take care of you is what God is saying? I know some of us believe in, in what is popularly known as deism, which means God created the earth. And, and he, he kind of like a clockmaker, you know, just set the timer and then it just runs by itself. But that's not what the Bible is saying here. It's saying God is involved in the cares of the birds and the flowers. He is commanding those flowers grow and sprout. He's commanding the worm. He says, worm, come out of the ground. He says, bird, go get that worm. And he he says, berry, just hang there. And and, and bird, go get that berry. He's in charge of all these details. It's a sovereign God. So it's unnecessary. Fifthly, lastly, not last in all the sermon, don't get too excited. Worry is ungodly. It's ungodly. It's ungodly. I'm amazed how often in churches and and, and amongst Christians we will get together and we will complain about all the ungodly people out there destroying our neighborhoods, destroying our city, destroying our nation, those ungodly, wicked, pagan people. How dare they? And yet Jesus here is equating worry with ungodly, pagan Behavior. I like to call it practical atheism. We say we believe in God, but on a practical level, we act like an atheist, as if he does not exist. Look at what Jesus says in verse 30 and 32. Verse 30, he says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is, is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh you of what? Little faith. It's ungodly. Then he goes on to say, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, watch this, for the Gentiles, that's the word for non-believers, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's saying, don't be like the world. Worrying is ungodly. It's, it's like acting like a pagan or acting like He doesn't exist. And so the next time you start complaining about all the ungodly people, make sure you include yourself and your worry in that. Amen. Because worry is a sin. Now don't receive, oh, you're such a terrible Christian. Receive from the Lord, I have an abundant life for you. And worry is keeping you from walking in that abundant life. Amen. And so don't. So it's unreasonable. It's unnatural. It's unhelpful. It's unnecessary. It's ungodly. So what, pastor? You've helped me out a whole lot here already knew how terrible I was. You just made me feel a whole lot better. Well, I'm so thankful that Jesus is all about good news. Amen. In fact, the, the word in the Bible, the gospel, which is describing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ means good news. We've got good news for you, ladies and gentlemen, is that there's a cure for worry, and it's really the gospel. And so it's called CALM. In fact, this came from the Max Lucado book. Um, he, he created the acronym. I didn't, I, I did tweak it a little bit, um, and so I have to write to him and, and tell him I improved on his uh, acronym. Um, and so uh, if somebody you know wants to take that off my hands, you can do that as well. Uh, calm. So what's an action plan here? Letter C is is let's celebrate the goodness of God. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. I would add in here the sovereignty of God too. If you don't know how to spell sovereignty, that's okay. The whole I before E, E before I, except after C, the whole deal messes me up still to this day. The sovereignty and the goodness of God. The sovereignty means God is the king over all the kingdom. He rules over this world. He rules over every planet, every star, every speck of dust. And so we celebrate that. We begin to worship God. We begin to acknowledge him. We, we, we take our minds off of the problem, off of the anxiety. We begin to celebrate the sovereignty and the goodness of God. So, so he's not just this sovereign ruler who's cold and calculated up there in heaven, stomping around, but as we sung this morning, he is a good, good father. Perfect in all his ways. His heart towards you is good. Verse 26, again, we keep hammering these verses, right? These are the weapons. Verse 26, he says, look, look at what? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor read nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Let's just focus on those words. Your heavenly father. What is he? He's a heavenly father. It means he's in heaven. We talked about this last week, meaning heaven is a different space than this. It means he sees things that you don't see. He understands things that you don't understand. He knows all those things. He's your heavenly father. And he says, are you not more valuable than them? Max Lucchetti would say, it's God's sovereignty that will stabilize your soul. It's God's sovereignty that will stabilize your soul. He's in control. So guess what that means? I don't have to be. There's an old preacher and and psychologist, Charles Lowry, and he would often encourage us to resign from being the general manager of the universe. I always found that helpful. And so we're going to do that today. This will be a free uh, counseling session for you. I won't charge you $250 for this. Uh, for 45 minutes or anything like that this will just be free uh so let's all together we'll do this you guys can raise your right hands you guys ready you guys gonna repeat after me i have not nor will i ever be the general manager of the universe therefore i resign from seeking to control everyone and everything effective immediately I will no longer be the general manager of the universe. All right. Don't you just feel better after that? Right? Just whew. all right. So 250 bucks, I just saved you. 250 bucks I just saved you from a counseling appointment. Offering will be at the end of the service. And so, so I'm just playing. And um, and uh, and so man, we can resign because he is the general manager of the universe. What we've learned is that anxiety increases. The more we think, the more we lie to ourselves, the more we perceive we have control over things. In fact, the study was done amongst uh, World War II soldiers about who had more anxiety, and um, the, the foot soldiers obviously had tons of anxiety about dying, about risking their lives there in the battlefield. But it was amazing that when they tested the pilots, The pilots had close to zero anxiety and they couldn't understand that though pilots were actually more at risk and in more danger and and they were dying at a higher percentage rate than the average soldier, why were the pilots not feeling anxious? Because they had their hands on the controls. They were up above. They thought, I'm in control. I perceive I'm in control. Where the guys down on the ground were like, I don't know what's going to come around me. I don't know who's watching me. And they perceived, listen to me, even though the data and the facts were different, they perceived they were out of control. So they had a lot more anxiety. And even though the pilots were dying at a higher rate, they thought they had their hands on the on the control stick. They didn't feel any anxiety. Isn't that amazing that our, our perceived idea of control is related to our anxiety? And so you're eternal. God is is caring for you. And then so your heavenly father, but he's our father. And who is he? I love the story that's told about a young kid who sprains his ankle, falls down the stairs, got a big old swollen ankle. And his dad is the world, the the world's most renowned orthopedic surgeon. His father changes joints, hips, ankles, uh, uh, shoulders of people all over the world. People all over the world come to see his father. But he doesn't really know what his dad does. He's still a young kid. He knows people call his dad doctor. He knows he works at a hospital. He knows mom thinks he's smart, but he doesn't really know. And so he falls down the steps and he's just a few weeks away from his first school dance. You know, adolescent anxiety just kicks in. I'm never gonna walk. Oh, she won't say yes. I can't wear crutches. And his dad says, Let me look at that ankle, son. You can't fix it. Nobody can fix it. Listen, son, I can fix it. You're gonna be okay. No, it won't be okay. You don't understand. No, son. You don't understand. Do you know what I do for a living? I don't know, but it can't be fixed. So he says, "Tomorrow you come with me to work." So he picks him up from school, got his crutches, his book bag, takes him into the hospital, sees where his dad's office is, had never been there. And he sees these degrees. He doesn't really understand what all the words mean. He sees all the stuff in his dad and he sees all the people like, oh man, you're, you're his son and comes on in and, and, uh, and he tosses him the textbook on orthopedic surgery with his name on it. He goes, dad, you wrote that? He says, yeah, I wrote that. Man. And, and then he begins to see, and then he, his dad gets a call, and the people are all rushing around. He can tell his dad's important. He says, come on, you're going to come into surgery with me. And there's an ankle surgery he goes through, and then he's standing back there, and, and, and the, and the nurses are like, your dad's the best. Watch how he does. And his dad just commands the operating room. Hey, you can hear this, that. give me that. Boom. And moving things around, and, and everybody's just like, yes, yes, sir. Boom. Okay. And then everything goes smooth, and he's like, man, I didn't realize who my dad, I didn't realize what my dad could do. And then he says, son, your ankle's going to be just fine. But then this time, he believes him. This time, because, listen to me now, because he understands his father a little better, he actually believes what his father says. Ladies and gentlemen, your understanding, your closeness to the father is, is a great cure for your anxiety. Amen? The deeper you get to know him, the more you read the scripture, the more you gather with other believers, the more you fill your mind with the things of God, the more your anxiety will begin to drop because you understand your father. And I would say this, our biggest fears are probably a lot like sprained ankles to God. I'm not saying your situation is not extremely difficult. I'm just saying, think about who this eternal being is. It's a sprained ankle to him. It's major to me and to you, absolutely. But to him, oh, he's world-renowned. I love what it says later on in the Bible. Matthew 10 says this, Are two sparrows not sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. He knows every bird that drops. And then he says this in verse 30, And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. How many of you honestly have taken the time to number the hairs on your head? Some of us, that's a little easier, right? But even those who are struggling in that department, you still got a patch here or there. There's a whole lot in that little patch. You might keep it short, but there's a whole lot in that little patch. You haven't cared for yourself. Are you with me? You haven't cared for yourself to the level that God cares for you. He has numbered your hairs. He cares for you. He's your heavenly father. I love what Jeremiah 17 says. Such a beautiful picture. The prophet Jeremiah says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in him. He is like a tree. Look at the the imagery. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And he does not fear when the heat comes. Why? Because his roots go deep. For its leaves will remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Why? Because his roots are tapped into something deeper. That could be you and me, believer. Jot these verses down, memorize them, put them on your mirror, put them on your dashboard, tattoo them on your hand, something, put them someplace where you can see them. Romans 8, 28, perhaps one of the most well-beloved verses in all the Bible. It says, and we know that for those who love God, watch this, all things. How many things? All things work together for good doesn't say all things are good right the kid still had the sprained ankle the difference is he has a father that knows how to get him out of that who knows how to heal him jesus said you will have tribulation you will have difficulty but you'll have a king with you all things will work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and so we can go from perplexed to praise we can go from burdened to blessed we can go from restless Resting when we trust and we celebrate, we turn our mind towards the sovereignty and the goodness of our God, amen. So that's the sea and calm. So celebrate his goodness. A, ask for help. A, ask for help. You gotta ask. You know what you're doing already? We're already talking to ourselves, right? We're talking to ourselves in our head. Man, this is it. They said this. This, I wonder if I do this. Will this work out like this way? We're talking to ourselves about the problem why not just include God in the conversation and talk to him about it, right? Someone said, if you prayed about it as much as you worried about it, we have a whole lot less to worry about. Now, some people say, well, it's not worth praying about. God doesn't care if he numbered the hairs on your head. He cares about every detail of your life. It's not worth praying about. It's not worth worrying about. That'd be a better way to flip that on his head. If it's not worth praying about, it's not worth worrying about. So ask him. Take it to God. He He loves. He's not too busy for you. He loves for you. In fact, we'll read later in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, ask. And, and if you don't get an answer, he says, seek. It's this picture of a kid like, hey, dad, dad, can I get a drink? Oh, dad must be in the bathroom. I seek dad out. Oh, he's in the bathroom. Then it says, knock, ask, seek, knock. Keep asking, bring it to your father. And so you got to ask him. As we said last week, we have not because we Ask not. And so ask God. You've got to worry. Take it to him. Then L. So celebrate God's goodness and sovereignty. A, ask for help. L, leave your requests with him. Leave them there. And the words of that great theologian, Elsa, from the movie Frozen, let it go. Let it go. You got to let it go. You have to leave it there with him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And that word casting there is not like, oh, I got this problem. I got to hurl it up to God. It's not like casting a fishing net or a fishing pole. It actually just means just drop it. Just drop, just unload it. God, I'm carrying this. You've told me not to carry it anymore. Boom. i let you have it. You just drop it right where it's at. As young people say. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it. Leave it there. The temptation is, right, we've all done this. We go back to it. God, I don't think you got this yet. I'm not seeing any movement. I'm going to pick this back up because you obviously don't know what you're doing. And we take it back up again. And again, he's saying, you weren't created to carry that load. Leave it with me. And then finally is this, meditate. Meditate on good things. Meditate on Christ, on things that are true. Meditate on good things. One writer said this. He said, your mind cannot be full of God and full of fear at the same time. We thought about that. Your mind can't be full of fear and full of God at the same time. Can't be full of fear and faith at the same time. Someone gave this to me. I keep it in my Bible. Gave it to me a little while ago as I was new to the This role in our church, it says, faith and fear both demand you believe in something you cannot see. Faith and fear both believe you believe in something you cannot see. You choose what you're going to believe in. Will you walk by faith instead of sight. You can't control everything in the world. But you know what you can control? You can control the thoughts that dominate your mind. Listen, I didn't say you can control every thought that comes into your mind cuz just like you, I got crazy bad dreams about, you know, from whatever I ate some Chinese food and I wake up believing that my head turned purple and 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 my car sprouted wings and um and 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 my kids uh you know uh got big feet and something like this like none of this makes sense, right? And then just thoughts come into your mind, but we can control what thoughts dominate our mind and dwell in there. And so meditate is focused thinking. It's saying no to that thought. It's saying I'm going to choose focus on this. And I got to be honest with you, it's hard in this day and age, right? 24-hour news cycle and and social media, man, now that'll destroy your peace in a heartbeat. So can I challenge you instead of reaching for the, the newspaper in the morning or the remote in the morning or for the phone in the morning, reach for God's word and meditate on that and let him declare to you that he's in charge and the beauty of who he is. Because man, when we start feeding ourselves with news Man, it just messes us up. My mom used to tell me, hey, you hanging around those kids, it changes who you are. It changes, they're not a good influence on you. And I'd say, no, that's not true, mom, blah, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And she said, no, when you're at home, you're a normal human being. You're a decent person. You, you sometimes like your siblings and you, you talk respectful, but you get out there with those knuckleheads and you start talking a different way. You start acting a different way, trying to be all big and bad. It's changing who you are. You know, I've noticed the same thing about myself, man. When I start watching all the news stuff, I just walk away. I'm reading some news articles on my phone. I'm like, man, I'm just angry now. It's, it's a bad influence. Your mind, meditate on things that are true and good. Look at what verse 33 says, right? Back to the text there. But seek first, seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. That's a promise, ladies and gentlemen. So how many of us, instead of worrying, are seeking first the kingdom of God? How many of us are seeking him, like really pursuing him and going after him? That's the question. Are you seeking him? And when you're seeking, your mind's so full of God and the things he's called you to do and how much he loves you and what he's done, you won't have time. Those worries will start to diminish like the old song goes, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. When you start to just focus your mind on him, that's what we've got to do, folks. One of our verses, we're memorizing as a family. Uh, there are some uh, monthly verses that, that we encourage the church family to memorize as well. They're on the back tables, Philippians 4.8. And if my kids are in here, we'll put them on the spot and give them a test, right? It says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is lovely, and I know this is a different translation, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think, about these things. I mean, there's a whole list of things to think about there that, that are different from what our society feeds to us. Change your radio station. Maybe your radio station is, is increasing your anxiety. I don't know what it is, but make that change and start meditating on things of God. In 2 Corinthians, I love this verse 10 5 says this We destroy arguments. How many know arguments are happening in your brain, right? We destroy arguments. Notice how we're winning that. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and watch this we take every thought captive to obey christ that thought that comes to mind that's not necessarily true that's not necessarily from god you are instructed as a leader to take that thought captive and, and align it against the word of god and say man is that true i'm starting to feel this way about my co-worker is that, is that really true is that honorable right and good right now i'm starting to feel this way about my spouse about my sister about my brother about my the person sitting next to me in the pew you know i'm I take that thought captive. I said, does this line up with God and his ways? No, throw it out. And if it's like my brain, it'll come back, right? And you might have to keep doing that. And you might have to keep doing that and keep doing that. As I said a few weeks ago, when we talked about lust. You, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop a bird from making a nest in your hair. It's the same thing with thoughts. So you can't stop thoughts, but you can stop it from making a nest. I love what Isaiah 23 says, says this. You will keep him or her in perfect peace. How many of us would love some perfect peace? How do we claim that promise? Whose mind is stayed or fixed steadfast on you? Why? Because he trusts in you. So we've got to meditate on the things that are true and right. So, what is, as we close for today, what is our what is our response to? the good news of Jesus Christ, it's always this. Jesus preached the kingdom. He said, you got to do two things. You got to believe, you got to repent, meaning turn from your way of doing things and you got to believe or trust. You turn and trust, repent and believe. So whether you're in this room and you're a Christian or you're in this room, and you're not a Christian, the application is the same. Man, I repent from those thoughts that have been killing me and making me anxious. God, And I believe your promises. God, I believe you're sovereign over the birds. So you're sovereign over my life, my children's life, my grandchildren's life. God, I'm not going to worry on those things. I repent from that and I believe. And I keep doing that over and over. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus. And if you're here today and don't have a relationship with Christ, notice the verse we read at the very beginning, right? Your heavenly father, sir, ma'am, are you with me? Is he your heavenly father? Not your grandmother's heavenly father. Not your sister's heavenly father. You're heavenly. Do you have a personal relationship with him? Just as our brother got baptized this morning, that, that beginning point of his relationship, we all have to have a beginning point. No one's just born into being a Christian. There's a time and a choice where we respond to God's wooing. He's been drawing us by his Holy Spirit, and we surrender. We, we raise the white flag. and We say, Jesus, I'm totally yours. I surrender, and my old life is dead All my sins are wiped away, and you've given me a brand new life. We'd love to help you with that here. That's why we exist as a church, to help us continue to embrace the gospel. There's a place on your connection card. I'd love to help you pray here in in just a moment. But I want to close with this final verse, Romans 8, 32. It says this, he who did not spare his own son. Think about that. You know what your biggest problem was and my biggest problem was? 100% of all people died. Did you know that? And you're going to stand before God and face eternity in front of him. And heaven requires perfection. And last time I checked, you aren't perfect, and neither am I. And none of us get into heaven without being perfect. That's what our biggest problem is. That's the biggest worry. You want to worry about something? Worry about that. And then do something about it. The good news is, something was already done on your behalf. You just have to receive it. But look at the rest of the verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, no matter who you are, no matter your background, what you've done, God sent his son for you. He says, how will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. God has promised to take care of you. And the gospel, the cross is the evidence of it. So you and I have no hope apart from God. But with God, we have incredible hope. Let's pray. Heads bound. Eyes closed. Our worship team is going to prepare to lead us. This is a time for you to do business with God. It's a time for us to respond to God and what he's doing. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. If if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. He's not your Heavenly Father. Wow, we'd love to help you start that relationship. How do you do that, Pastor? This is by crying out to God. Simply, right there in your seat, you could do that. Maybe you pray something so simple as this. There's no magic words, but you could repeat after me. And God doesn't care about the words you use; He cares about the condition of your heart. But you might pray something. Just like this in your heart, you might pray something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, right in the quietness of your heart, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. You know I've been worried about all these things. You know I've been worried about all these things. But God, I want to lay that down. God, I want to lay that down. And I want to embrace you as my heavenly father. I, embrace you as my father. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you died on the I believe that you rose again. I believe that you rose again to conquer all of sin and death. Conquer all of sin and death. And Jesus says, best I know how. Best I know how. I give you my life. I I surrender control to you. I surrender control to you. Help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love for you to put on your connection card or during this response time. Let myself or one of our elders or deacons know, if you came here with a church member, reach over them and say, hey, I prayed this. Can you, can you help me? Nobody wants to embarrass you. What we want to do is help you grow as a, as a believer. We want to help you take your next steps of faith. The Bible says when we become a believer, we're like a baby. and Every baby needs a family. It needs to be taken care of. And so we just want to help you acknowledge that. If you're here today as a, as a Christian and you just need to lay some burdens down, do that during this song. You're welcome to come to the front and pray. You're welcome to pray with others around you or uh, against our elders and deacons. We'd love to help you because we're all struggling. But we have a victorious Savior. So, Father, hear our prayer. We lay down our burdens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.